It's hard to downplay the value of a fee, but I would also say something to you and the audience members that I speak about frequently in the clinic. Most people don't realize how important their feet are until something goes wrong. Oh, that's so true. With that, that's like my relationship with my printer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Today, my guest is Dr. Ray McClanahan of Northwest Foot and Ankle in Portland, Oregon. As you can hear, we had a little bit of fun with today's topics. I didn't know Dr. Ray personally when I invited him on the show. As far as feet go, he's a perfect fit for the Vibrant Potential Tribe. He's passionate about helping people find what he calls their highest joy in motion. He's been a podiatrist for almost 20 years, and his years of experience along with his personal story as an elite runner, which he shares with us at the beginning of this episode, have taught him most issues with feet from bunions to neuromas to plantar fasciitis and many others can be corrected by restoring natural foot function. As you're about to hear, Dr. Ray's entire practice is really centered around helping people get out of pain, perform at higher levels, and be free to feel joy. Turns out Ray is a vibrant potentialite and didn't even know it. In just a moment, I'll bring you Dr. Ray's interview. First, I wanted to say thanks for all the feedback from last week's show. I had a lot of feedback from people saying it was one of their favorites in weeks. If you missed it, you can listen as well as check out the show notes at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash Lance Hauge. Hauge is H-A-U-G-E. If you're enjoying these shows, please visit my website at www.drchrisfrickman.com and sign up for my newsletter. That's where I can let you know about free seminars and a bunch of other great resources, all aimed at helping you reach your vibrant potential. Also, share the shows with your friends. Who do you know that has a foot issue? Tell them about this episode. They're going to want to know. Lastly, please listen to the end of this episode when I offer you a gift along with this week's VP invite. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Dr. Ray, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dr. Frickman. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. I definitely want to get into this idea of correct toes, but I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about how do you impress upon people and how do you interest people 
in their feet before they have a problem. Because you and I were talking in the pre-show about that a lot of people don't think about their feet just day to day. We take them for granted, you know? We, we do that with so many areas of our health. How do you impress upon people or engage with people about the importance of their feet before something goes wrong? Yeah, I think the ways that we try to accomplish that in our clinic are certainly our newsletter. We certainly um, have strong relationships with a lot of other healthcare providers in our area many of whom are of the mindset of uh, prevention and conservation. Um, It's a rare person, though, I find, at least in my work, that approaches their feet from the perspective of just making sure everything's fine before something breaks. And I guess the thought that came, came to mind instantly was going to the dentist to get a checkup. Um, you know, that, that seems to be commonly accepted thought in America that you go before you get your cavities and you do all the preventive things. But for some reason, the, the feet and some other parts of the body, we don't necessarily take that preventive approach. So the answer to your question is I basically try to just um, speak as much as I can on the topic. I try to encourage people to understand that once you've developed a problem, the cure for that problem or getting over that problem is so much more difficult to achieve than if you did all the small necessary steps along the way. I'm sure you've heard uh, uh, an ounce of prevention is, or an ounce of cure is worth a pound of prevention, or I'm messing it up, but you know that. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Let's take a proactive approach here instead of waiting till it's broken. Yes, and it's so critical with the feet because one of the things I do see when feet break down particularly if it becomes a chronic problem, many times other parts of the body will break down. And the sad reality is many times those other body parts will continue to fail well after the feet get well, like knees and the spine or hips, cervical spine, etc. So yeah, it's, a, it's an important message you're trying to get out there, Dr. Frickman, that prevention is really the way to go. Awesome. So let me ask you a little bit about how you got into podiatry in the first place and then and then how it ended up going more of a preventative route from there. But I know you used to be quite a runner. I Do you still run? I still run. I still get out every day. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where your origins were with running? And uh, I, I know you were you shared with me that, that you have a teaching degree and how all that kind of spiraled into, I'm going to be a podiatrist. Oh, I'd be happy to. I uh, I went out to Lynchburg, Virginia back in probably 1985, well, I guess, to pursue an education degree. And I I was already in love with running. I had seen the Chariots of Fire movie and oh, yeah. um, decided that I was, that was going to be my life goal to see if I could make the Olympic team. And so I went off to college and I trained as hard as I could and I had good coaching. And I wasn't that great my freshman year, but my sophomore year, I actually improved quite a bit. And so not only did my scholarship get a little bit larger, but coach said he would buy me whatever shoes I wanted. Mm. And in my freshman year, I was wearing a shoe at the time called the Gel 100 by Asics. And it was it would be considered a minimalist shoe to today, by today's standards. Not a whole lot to it. It ran very well. Most of the shoes back, back then were, are considered minimalist shoes today. <laughs> it's so true. That, and that's a valuable point in and of itself. So I went out there, and then my sophomore year, I got a uh, coach to buy me the fancy bells and whistles shoe with all this arch support and heel counter and blah, 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 and I got hurt. Now you had really made it. You get, now you I, could afford the huge shoe with all the... <laughs> well, it, it was supposed to be good for me, right? I was right, supposed right. to run faster and not get hurt. Well, I got hurt, and uh, 
my very first injury there was actually rubbing up the plastic heel counter on the back of my heel. Mm. And so I, I got rushed off to the orthopedist and he put some cortisone there a couple of times and it didn't get better. And so he said he wanted to you know, shave my heel bone. Well, I happened to redshirt that year and I looked in the back of my closet and I noticed that the exact location of the pain on my heel was where I was rubbing the material out of the back of the heel counter of my shoe. So I wasn't even a podiatrist at the time, but I realized, wow, this shoe created a problem to my foot that the doctor couldn't cure because he wasn't looking at my shoe. Mm. And so injury after injury, um, I basically never in my collegiate years um, had a, a long enough period of good intense training, I think, to fulfill my, my potential. So I got out of school and kept having chronic injuries, and I was of the mindset that you know the perfect shoe orthotic combination would cure everything. What's ironic though is as soon as I got out of school, I decided to go back to, well, I taught, taught high school in my hometown for a year, but then I decided to go back to school to become a sports medicine doc, partly because of my own suffering and woes and partly also because that was just a, a dream and a passion of mine. Um, however, during all those years of running between, say, 1984 and 1999, I was wearing my shoes way too small. I was wearing them a size 9, and now I wear a size 12. But the long well, that's a huge it, difference. Oh, it is. But if, if you talk to people who actually want their feet to function properly and get the toes spread out, it's, it's very common for people to be fitting their shoes too small and to need to go up a couple sizes, sometimes even three sizes. And this could very well be many of your audience members today. But the long and the short of it is I actually developed um, what you see in your clinic, I'm sure, overlapping toes. So I had a bunion and I had my second toe was a hammer toe sitting up on top of my big toe on both of my feet. Can you describe for the listener what those things look like? What's a bunion? What's a tailor's bunion? What's a hammer toe? Yeah, so a bunion basically is where the big toe starts sliding towards the second toe. And this starts happening at about age three or four in most Americans, whether we know it or not, because if you look at the shape of the baby's foot at birth, and this is one of the teaching tools I use in the clinic, we can clearly see everybody's born with the widest part of the foot, the ends of the toes, and not the ball of the foot. However, we only make shoes shaped like that natural human foot for about a year, and then we begin this process of believing that people can have healthy feet fitting their shoes widest at the ball of the foot. So what ends up happening is the big toe starts getting shifted over towards the second toe. The fifth toe starts getting shifted in under the fourth toe. So these are uh, classically termed bunion or Taylor's bunion, which basically are a progressive dislocation of your toe joints caused by your footwear. Which is crazy. And, and, and just, just so people know, the, 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 the bunion is when it's on the big toe and on that metatarsal, the, the side, the inside correct. side, the medial side of the foot. Correct. A tailor's bunion is essentially the same thing. It's just on the outside of the foot. It's on that little pinky toe. Is that right, Doc? Precisely. And several things that the audience members want to know is if you go online and you start reading about bunions or tailor's bunions, the internet is fraught with miseducation and an erroneous conclusions. A lot of people are told that they are actually growing bone because they actually see a bump there. But the good news that we get to share with people is that they don't, they're not growing any bone. They're basically dislocating their toe with their shoe. And that's actually very, very good news because since that's what it actually represents, it's quite easy for us then to begin the process of relocating their toes back where they belong. 
And this is basically the, um, the heart and soul of the work that we do at, at Northwest Foot and Ankle and Correct Toes. We teach people what that natural human foot shape is like. We sh- share with them the shortcomings of the present system of fitting shoes. And we go into great detail about a lot of the bells and whistles and design features that are built into shoes that people say good things about but honestly don't really have any medical value. Mm, interesting. So my second toe sitting up on top of my big toe and both feet, and the irony of it is this is at the time when I'm doing the most operations in my career, mm. and there was talk that you know maybe it was time for me to have that operation. And for whatever reason, I decided partly out of fear because I'm a guy that if you take away my activity, I'm not going to be a very happy guy like we touched on in the pre-show. Um, so I, I need to keep moving. My patients need to keep moving. So I opted to see if I could change my feet with a more slow, you know, hands-on rehab approach as opposed to letting anybody take a scalpel and a saw to me. Sure. I can understand that. And I should probably also be very uh, careful to give credit to um, my mentor, Dr. William Rossi. In fact, everything that you and I will talk about today, Chris, and things that the audience members might see on my website is based upon the work of a brilliant podiatrist. Um, And I do have four of his articles on my website, um, the first one that might be of interest to you or your audience members is known as Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. So Dr. William Rossi, R-O-S-S-I, fascinating podiatrist that traveled around the world and he looked at feet from all different cultures and then he kind of compared the feet and health of the feet to the footwear or the lack thereof and and portrayed some very, very fascinating conclusions. That he And he's also a very good writer, so... You know, my 10-year-old daughter can read his work, and it makes really good sense to her. So so nothing that we do in our clinic, actually, other than the Correct Toes product, is, is our intellectual property, if you will. Much of what you and I are talking about has literally been published in the medical literature for over 100 years. Oh, wow. Okay. But it's not mainstream, and it's, you know, it's not popular within the current podiatric curriculum. In fact, much of it's not even taught in the podiatric curriculum. And one of the other things that audience members might want to know about is today's podiatry clinic is largely um, an allopathic endeavor. And for audience members that are not familiar with what that means, that means that when you go to the traditional podiatrist, the goal is to get your pain to go away, to reduce your symptoms. And although that's valuable, and I'm sure you would agree with me, we all want our patients to be out of pain, um, we also need to take that deeper look at what can we do to make sure they never get the problem back. And better yet, like we talked about in the pre-show, how do we get to people with the message of prevention ahead of time? Tell me about Correct Toes. You may find this to be kind of funny. There's a there's a newer running shoe brand out there, and I know you know the name of it, and I, I might mispronounce it here. I think it's Ultra, uh-huh. A-L-T-R-A maybe? Yeah. And they they have a wider toe box than most of the other brands out there. Before I had heard of Correct Toes or Dr. Ray, I was in the market for a new pair of shoes because I just once in a while need some. And I liked the look of them. And I thought, I want to have a wider shoe. Like I, Even though I wasn't thinking about it as uh, intentionally as you, I felt that my, my feet didn't like to be boxed in, basically. So I liked the look of these shoes, and I bought them, and actually the toe box was wide, but the ones that I bought actually ended up being so snug across the ball of my foot that I ended up getting what I... You know, maybe, maybe you could tell me there's a different term for it, but it felt like I was getting 
uh, a bunion, and in fact, a Taylor's bunion, actually even worse. It was like on my, especially on the right uh, head of the fifth metatarsal, it was pretty bad pain. It was it was pretty bad, and yeah. and I didn't know what it was from. And then I realized like these shoes are actually, even though they have a wide toe box, they're they're compressing the ball of my foot. So is that still? Do you think a bunion? I know you haven't seen my shoot my feet, but. Yeah, not not likely to be a bunion at this point. If your toe is still straight, likely um, that shoe is just a bit narrow for you. And that's kind of been a problem with that company. The company um, designer is a friend of mine. And so when they first came out, the toe boxes on a lot of their models were naturally foot-shaped. They were very wide, very bulbous. But for whatever reason, some of the models more recently have actually become quite snug for people. And so there's a way that your audience members can figure out whether or not that particular shoe will wear will work for them, or any shoe for that matter. We have a we have a test we call the shoe liner test, which we use in the clinic. And so instead of the the patient or the client going into the shoe store and standing on the metal measuring device, the brand device. Yeah, yeah. What we encourage people to do is pull the sock liner out of the shoe and stand on it. In fact, this is a piece of information that we capture on every single one of our new patients. Uh, it not only gives us a baseline about what their feet look like at the beginning of their journey, but it also helps us substantiate our educational efforts to lead people to the knowledge that 90% of adult Americans are wearing shoes that don't really fit them. And they don't know it, partly because they're they're likely measuring their feet based on the erroneous Brannock device. So a better way is to just pull that sock liner out. And I'll bet if you did that when you got home, I would speculate that your first met head probably is a little bit wider than the sock liner. And essentially, the sock liner is a direct representation of what the toe box shape is going to be like. So okay. So stand on sock liner, particularly with correct toes on, um, that's one of the things that we're very particular about in our fitting process because if you put correct toes on and you try to get it into a shoe that doesn't have enough room for you to splay out uh, like you should, you'll you'll develop a new problem. So my toes, they could be worse, but... I would say that they are the first and fifth toes do push towards the middle toes a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm 39 years old at, at the time that we're recording this. And so I've had a few decades of standing around in these shoes that are, you know, I widely they're, they're the pun there, I guess, widely they're not mm-hmm. very wide. And, and so I, I don't mean to blame those shoes that I was wearing for a couple of months. It was just interesting the way, I, I guess we won't call it a, a bunion, but it was just, what would you call that then if it's like red and inflamed on that fifth metatarsal head? Yeah, probably call that an adventitial bursa. Oh, bursa, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. a lot of times when people chronically rub first metatarsal head or fifth metatarsal head, they'll get red, they'll almost get like a little fluid-filled sac there, which is essentially the body's attempt to try to you know, give you a little bit more of a shock absorber because it knows it's getting beat up. Mm, mm, totally. Uh, a little bit of a shift. What do you feel about barefoot running? Well, I absolutely love it. In fact, about six or seven years ago, I got together with Michael Sandler, who wrote Barefoot Running, and he's since written Barefoot Walking. Um, and you know, spent quite a bit of time with him. I've spent quite a bit of time with Dr. Daniel Howell, the barefoot professor from Liberty University who wrote the barefoot book. So I basically did a lot of research for many years. I hung out with these people. I learned from them. So I, I really find a lot of value in it, Dr. Frickman, but I also find that a lot of people have very bizarre attitudes towards it. 
Oh. And I also find that <laughs> I also find that people have um, inappropriate expectations about how much they can do with their bare feet when they haven't been right using away. their bare feet their whole life. Sure, sure. Okay. You know, so I when people ask me that in the clinic, I encourage them, everybody, I want everybody to take their shoes off. First, I want them to take their shoes off in a controlled environment like their home. But I also encourage people, especially when the weather gets nice, to go outside and just start walking on a controlled surface. Because one thing that I believe is it's a good thing to be in a natural shoe that you know, holds your foot naturally. But I also believe there's something to actually touching the ground with our feet. And I also think that our proprioceptive response is likely to be a whole lot better if we actually train our bodies to actually engage the ground with our bare feet. So I, I'm a big fan of it, but as you can imagine, too much of any good thing is not a good thing. So you, you can imagine the horror stories that we hear about. You probably hear about them too. People read a book or some friend of theirs wants them to run barefoot. And so instead of following Michael Sandler's rule, which is 200 meters or 200 yards the first time, I, I have people come in and tell me, oh, it felt so good. I ran five miles. You know, and then they're laid up for a week because their calves are all tore up and they're, you know, blistered on the bottom of their feet. So, long Yeah, it's answer. like someone that hasn't done a push-up since college and 20 years later they, they rip out as many push-ups as they possibly can. They're going to be a little bit sore afterwards. Perfect analogy. Yep. So we, we try to encourage people to do it, but like any other good thing in life, we want their body to be able to adapt to it. And so that's another huge portion of our educational push at the clinic is everything we're going to ask people to do is going to be natural, but since it's foreign to them, we want them to rein in their enthusiasm so that their body can actually benefit from what we're asking them to do. Very cool. Okay, well, people can go to the show notes for this pay, for this show too at drchrisfrickman.com slash correct toes, and okay. they can see a picture of what the correct toes uh, device actually looks like in someone's foot. And um, my question is, is can you kind of lay out a little bit if someone was interested in whether it's running or just like walking or outside or whatever, how do correct toes and, and barefoot running and, and, you know, the, the transition from being in these, uh, I'm trying to remember what they call that, you know, the, whatever it was a couple hundred years ago, the, the uh, sort of the concubines or whatever in to the Chinese emperor and stuff that would get the yeah. foot blocked or whatever. I think it was called yeah. blo foot blocking. Binding. Foot binding. binding. Foot binding. Yeah. Thank you. Foot binding. Yeah. So we're almost, we all are like a little bit of a victim to something almost akin to foot binding, just not quite, not quite to that extreme, right? Absolutely right. Yeah, we all are doing it, but it's not, you know, we're not, forcefully breaking our children's feet when they're in their infancy. In fact, most of the de deformation that occurs from footwear is painless, and that's also been well established in the medical literature. So people don't really know that what they're doing to themselves is bad until such time as their feet and body stop compensating. And that's another thing that I say frequently in the clinic is the feet are so fantastic in what they will allow us to do to them that is unnatural before they mm. fall apart. God, the it's whole like, body is like that. It's crazy. Isn't it? It's fascinating. And in my, in my clinic, I'm typically seeing a fourth or a fifth decade female several times a day that says to me, I've been wearing whatever shoe I want. I've been exercising and I've run this half marathon and I've been wearing these shoes. And all of a sudden, 
my foot's hurt and I've done everything and I can't get it better. And they want to know why. And they want to know why it's only one foot and why they've broken down. They didn't hurt themselves. They didn't sprain their ankle. Nothing fell on their foot. And this is when I go about the process of describing to them how it's many years, many decades oftentimes of subtle uh, you know, malpositions that eventually the body can no longer compensate for. Yeah, and it, it seems random if you're just thinking like, if you're not aware of the idea that this wasn't healthy all this time and, and you're aware of these, I'll call them micro traumas over, over years or decades, it, it seems really random. Like, what the heck? Why am I in so much pain now? What, I didn't do anything. And, and uh, why did it just happen now, right? Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so again, like bring me like just bring it back to like the barefoot running. So, so you are a fan of being barefoot, and so and, and here's where I'm going with this, Doctor Ray is is that I've been a a pretty big fan of of being barefoot ever since. Well, probably for about 15 years now since I was in chiropractic school. Before that, I had not really thought about it. Um, but just therapeutically been a fan of being barefoot, whether, you, whether you're running or, or whatever, I just think, uh, it just, it just always felt right to me. And then I, and then I read a book by, uh, he's a chiropractor named, uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone. And yeah. I've had him on the show too, actually. And, and I've been honored to be able to talk to him about this stuff too, a bit, you know, and I, so I started learning like, oh, maybe this is actually therapeutic for people too. It doesn't just feel right. There's actually like some some people that are doing some work around that uh, this is actually the way humans are supposed to be, right? And um, so I I really went away from orthopedics or um, orthotics, excuse me, from orthotics mm-hmm. because in chiropractic at least, there's kind of, I feel like two main camps in terms of foot health, uh, there's either the, the camp that says more towards where I am of, of like, Hey, try to be barefoot more. Uh, like here's a couple of like simple exercises to, to strengthen the feet and, and stuff like that. Um, but if you, if you take good care of your feet, they're going to take care of you kind of, and, and they're going to, they, we're supposed to use our feet. So don't, you don't have to worry about not using them and, and putting them in these weird casts. And then th- that was my take. But then there's this other camp of like, Hey, let's, let's get these like custom made orthotics and like, you know, we'll, we'll completely support the, the arches and, and we'll kind of take away the body's need to like use the muscles like uh, intrinsic and extrinsic to the foot. And, and um, that was like another approach and, and people would get symptomatic relief from that too. And so it was sort of like, what's the right thing. And so I always just, my belief about it was I always stayed away from, I always wanted the body to kind of fix itself more or less. Right. Right. And so correct toes is sort of like a, that's a, that's a really new thing for me to, to think of like, you know, I, I don't know if this is uh, the word that you would use for it, but I would call it an orthotic and uh, at least it's a device. That's the, for sure, a correct term. I'm wondering if like, so that was like a five minute little spiel that I just gave there, but can you talk to that? I mean, like, does that make sense what I'm saying? Perfect sense. Yeah, perfect sense. Um, I, I can speak from a variety of levels. Uh, I actually worked for an orthotics company for several years right out of school. 
and and I studied orthotics extensively in school. And at that time, without having a background in natural foot health or an awareness, I thought orthotics were the holy grail. I thought, you know, they were the way that I was going to help people get over their symptoms. And at that time, I would have considered that health because that's what I was being taught. So the absence of negative symptoms. Right, you know, but you got to consider that we're actually doing something artificial to the body with an orthotic, which is we're putting something up under the medial longitudinal arch where the natural barefoot state doesn't have anything. In fact, the natural barefoot state requires a little bit of uh, depressing or loading of the foot, which is essentially like a spring. And so putting in an orthotic, you, you said it adequately, which is it does for many people provide some symptom reduction. And I've witnessed that in my clinic, and um, so I'm not going to argue with that. But what I would say from 20 years of experience is many of those people that would get symptom reduction from partial immobilization of their foot bones and their arch, um, that tended to be a temporary thing for a lot of those people. In other words... It's like, let's get you out of pain while you continue to degenerate. Exactly. You know, so they're not getting to the core root of the problem, which, you know, as you're discovering from our conversation, if you would ask me, I think footwear is probably the primary uh, violator of, of our feet. But essentially what an, what an orthotic attempts to do is lift up under the medial longitudinal arch and, like you said, basically take away the need for the intrinsic and the extrinsic muscles of the foot and the ankle to function properly to support themselves. So... You're also correct in addressing the correct toes as an orthotic. And I just had this conversation yesterday where you can make a, a nice comparison between a custom orthotic that is designed around holding the subtalar joint in a neutral position, but, it, but put it into a shoe that ignores the natural human shape of the foot, or you can do what we do, which is we try to position the human foot all the time exactly the way it's intended. So this doesn't just mean spreading the toes, although I'll go into some good detail about that. It also means that we try to get our heel level with the whole ball of our foot. And if you look at the shoes that are on the wall of just about any shoe store in America, as we speak, almost everything has a two-to-one heel-to-forefoot ratio. And this is also one of the reasons why the Ultra Shoe Company that you brought up has become so popular. They have described uh, their technology as zero drop. Mm -hmm. I mean, the heels is exactly the same level as a forefoot. So that's important. The other thing that's important is that we don't lift the ends of the toes above the ball of the foot, a feature known as toe spring. Wait, uh, then, let, me, let me make sure I just got that. You don't want to go the opposite direction of what most running shoes currently are still doing, which is they have like a a four, six, eight millimeter drop or whatever where the heel is raised. Yep. But you're saying it's also not good to go the other way. Well, I'm saying... Or did I misunderstand? Of, at the front of the foot, there's a feature built into shoes known as toe spring. And that's where the ends of the toes are being held above the ball of the foot. So if you oh, look oh, at oh, oh, got it, got it. Okay, okay. Thanks for the clarification. Okay. Yeah, so those two things basically uncouple the medial longitudinal arch. And I've got a couple videos on the website. We recently shot one called Pronation. And this is going to be probably very interesting to the audience members, and you may already be aware of this yourself, Dr. Frickman. But when the big toe is in natural alignment, most people's medial longitudinal arch will support itself. However, very few of us have our big toe in natural alignment. So that's really what correct toes is all about. 
Correctos tries to help people achieve what nature gave them but was taken away early on in their life. So whereas most shoes are going to hold your big toe and your fifth toe squeezed in towards the center of the foot, um, our feet actually need to be shaped entirely differently. Our big toe literally should stick straight out from our metatarsal. And our fifth toe should stick straight out from our fifth metatarsal. But this is not what our feet look like, so this seems un unnatural to us. And here's where the writing of my uh, mentor, Dr. William Rossi, is so valuable. I love the way he describes how we take something that is unnatural and we make it our new normal so that everybody's okay with it. <laughs> totally. Oh, no. That's bad. But yeah, it's totally true. Yeah. So really what Correctos is trying to do is once you get the fifth toe spread away from the fourth and you get the great toe spread out, if you can present that foot flat and level from the heel to the front of the foot, that person in time will be able to achieve for themselves exactly what a custom arch orthotic will do. But the, the distinguishing difference is a custom arch orthotic is doing something that was never intended naturally. So it's, it's, it's providing an unnatural treatment as opposed to correct toes is actually putting the foot into the natural alignment so that it can support itself. And I was joking yesterday in a meeting that unfortunately we had to create correct toes to mitigate the damage of the other invention known as footwear. Mm. So two wrongs don't make a right in my, in my mind. So my, my professional career goal is to try to get to the kids before they even develop these problems. Yes. You know, so that we don't need to have orthotics and, and so forth. So that brings me to another question. Uh, correct toes, you see this as a way to obviously correct, you know, the footwear issue and stuff that we just mentioned. But um, do, do, does everybody need to wear correct toes if they've been wearing, if they've been wearing traditional shoes? Should, should pretty much everyone get them? Or is it just if they have bunions or, or who do you recommend them for? Um, I don't think they're necessary for everybody. I do meet the occasional person in my clinic who still has pretty straight, healthy toes. And many times these people have grown up in Hawaii or maybe they've come from another country. So um, correct toes is best used for the person who has actually noticed that their feet are taking on the characteristics of the shoe and, and you know, pointing at the fifth toe and the great toe. The other thing that's worthy of mentioning, though, is the idea behind Correctos is not that it will become a lifelong uh, therapy. The idea is once they get their feet realigned, then they just maintain those changes in better footwear. Now, everybody is an individual, of course, doctor, but do you have a, a kind of a rough guideline? Like, well, for however many decades you've been doing this, it takes this many months or years to kind of turn it around in general or anything like that? Absolutely. In fact, I, I see three-year-old kids and I see 93-year-old people. And for sure, when we get to the young ones, um, I see profound changes in young kids' bodies within weeks to months. In fact, we've got some really nice case studies on our website where we've taken some little children that had some toe deformities and used correct toes and better footwear. And you know, a year to a year and a half down the road, they're cured they are completely well their toes are perfectly straight nice but but to your point we also see these folks that have gone decades of you know wearing footwear that basically changed the shape of their feet so i always appreciate it when one of them says to me well it, it didn't happen overnight you know and so they're right. reflecting that they understand that they have to start to reverse the processes that brought them to the clinic 
Um, the other good thing about Correctos, and I don't mean to sound salesy because that's not my intent, but anybody that would like to try it, we have a we have a risk-free guarantee for a month. Mm-hmm. You know, people can put it on, they can sense it. And in fact, this is one of the more powerful educational tools we find is that if people can experience what it's supposed to do for them, it kind of almost becomes a no-brainer. Your balance gets better, your foot functions better, your arch is supported, your foot can get stronger. Um, so, you know, that's that's another opportunity for people. If they're not quite sure if this is something that they want to try, they can, they can do it with no risk. So I, I'm curious if you're aware of this uh, phenomenon in anyone else or if this is just some weird thing I made up in my head, but I'm a bit of a runner. I was never an Olympic hopeful, but I like to do some triathlons and, and I run... It goes up and down, but at least a few times a week. You know, I like to run usually three to six miles. That's kind of like my typical thing. And I like to run. I like to just kind of push myself. I'm not like training right now. I'm not like doing intentional, you know, this minute mile and then this minute mile for recovery. So I'm not exactly doing that right now. I'm just kind of going out. I like to feel like I just had a good workout. And that's kind of like what I'm doing. So... Um, just to put a number to it, like these might not even be the exact right numbers, but just for like the sake of the story here, I might go out and I might run seven 15 minute miles and I'm just out there, you know, running around the lake and I have started wearing these correct toes. Uh, it's been about a few weeks and I actually went back to the store and I got some larger, a different, it's a different model and, uh, another half a size bigger, and so I, I got some new ultras and I'm wearing the correct toes in the ultras when I run. And I feel like I'm about 45 seconds per mile faster now. Like I'm running like a 630-ish pace yeah. at what at the same output that I was running a 715 at. And yes. it feels like I just have more it feels like spring or bounce or something. It's, and I, I don't have a necessarily like a way to measure this, but it feels like my stride length is longer. Uh huh. So I'm just curious if like, does that make sense? And is that bizarre that that would happen that fast? Or am I just making that up in my head? I sure don't think you're making it up. In fact, we have that conversation frequently. Um, 30 seconds to a minute is very typical for a lot of people to come in and report, and they're equally surprised. They are not putting any more effort into it. The most um, significant example I heard of was about a month ago, um, not just with correct toes and better footwear, but obviously the folks that we work with, we're trying to get them to move more effectively, and so we explore gait and so cadence and these kinds of things. But recently we had a gentleman go from running a... Um, Eight minute mile to a five minute mile, and so that's you know that <laughs> that's, I know that's quite I know, a but he, he also did too much too soon and he got hurt. But he you know by changing the way he ran and by I think a I think a big part of what you're feeling, Doc, is your big toe. In fact, uh, one of my one of my favorite docs out there in the running community is Dr. Mark Kukazella. Uh, he's the director of the Natural Running Center, and he's a correct toes wearer. And so he's not only written a testimonial for us, he's described what he felt in his own body once he got his big toe functioning properly. He, he, he feels as if your big toe really allows you to engage your spring, and I, and I think that's kind of what you're experiencing. The other thing that you find is that if you're balanced as you propel, in other words, when you're leaving the ground, if your big toe is where it's supposed to be, 
I think everything functions better, not just at the level of your feet and your ankles. I think your knees, your hips, your spine. Um, so, no, this is not at all uncommon for me to hear people automatically running faster, um, which is also one of the reasons why we have to try to temper their enthusiasm early on. In other words, they will get hurt. Um, but, no, there's, there's a whole lot to using our toes that most adult Americans and most athletic adult Americans have never experienced. We've never... Most of us have never been in a position to encounter what you're encountering on your runs. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of just just my personal journey. I'm. I'm still doing some some triathlons, and I just I enjoy cycling so much, and and uh, you know I like the freedom that running kind of it does. It, mm. It's not as uh, I like cycling more personally. But I like that with running, there's this other, I like it as a variety and I like that it just feels like I could just go out and do this, you know, like it, it feels yeah. nice. I like that part of it. But I'm getting mo- less and less in that like kind of like grinded out competitive kind of like I'm going to win this triathlon kind of state yep. Versus, yep. versus more and more into uh, things like parkour and just nat- more natural movement, pr- like some people call them primal movements and, you know, move, move nat and, and all these different things. Like I, I'm into that kind of idea and it feels really right to me. And yeah. um, so partly it's like this barefoot running thing is cool, but partly I'm also, when I, when I think of barefoot running, I'm also thinking of like running around sort of randomly with my kids in the backyard and maybe I'm climbing a tree too and stuff like that. And just like, just like random stuff. So, but this, um, I guess where I'm trying to go is kind of two places. And the first place I'll, the first direction I'll go is this. In your practice, do you see people with just foot pain or do you ever see people that do you ever, maybe it's like referrals. I'm sure people that think of podiatry they think of feet right just like they think of uh chiropractors they think of like neck and back pain or something like that but um do you ever see people with like low back pain and then fix what their big toe is doing or or do some other things with their feet and then their low back pain gets better do you ever see that frequently in fact uh, it's it's really compelling to sit down with somebody and talk to them most of the time they will have a foot concern sometimes they'll outline a hip or a back or a neck concern at the first visit, but many of them won't. Many of them, like you said, are coming in to talk about their foot or their ankle concern. But it's been very gratifying over the years to have somebody come back for their follow-up and say, you know, for instance, well, I had 12 years of mid-thoracic back pain. It's, it's gone, you know. In fact, early on in my career, I had some, some very interesting they say they, they say I had 12 years of mid-thoracic back pain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably they don't say thoracic, but yeah, I know what you mean. I'm just, I'm just, te- I'm just you know, teasing. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know. So we we frequently encounter that. Although more recently, we're also getting people who don't have foot pain, but their chiropractor or the, one of their other doctors may think that maybe their feet are weak or maybe their feet, you know, are malpositioned. And so many times we will see people, and oftentimes that's successful too. What I'm careful to get people to think about is that. I think it's all interrelated, and I think we need everybody's uh, expertise and approach. In fact, I do the same thing. I send a lot of my folks out to your your community and, and chiropractic colleagues for, you know, just to make sure that we're addressing not just the feet and the ankles, but the whole body. 
Mm. But to answer your question, I absolutely see people who, in fact, early on in my career, it would happen occasionally, and people would come in and wonder whether or not there was more going on than just, you know, lining their body up, you know, whether there was some kind of energy medicine or healing or something. And no, not really. Basically, just trying to get people to function the way we're intended to function, and that in and of itself is curative many times. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. I, I actually do something for sometimes for low back pain. I mean, it can be other things too, but I'll encourage people to actually hang. So like yeah. just get on like a, like it could be a, a pull-up bar. It could be uh, the rafters in the garage. I mean, whatever, a tree branch, whatever, but, but hanging for like say 30 seconds or something and doing that like a few times throughout the day, and that stretches and puts a different kind of stress on the fascia in uh, surrounding the shoulder. But that, mm-hmm. of course, is connected to the spine and the, even down to the pelvis and, and really d- even down to the feet, right? But, yeah. and, and so um, I, I love working on sort of trying to take a, a pretty holistic view. And, and, you know, some of those people are think it's kind of bizarre that's like hey no I, th- I think you forgot i have low back pain and why are you having me hang from this bar like no no it's it's it's, it's there's the there's a method to the madness yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so then my my other question um was a lot of the people that listen to this are very active a lot of them are athletic they they identify with being an athlete and oftentimes it's running or, or cycling or some, one of these endurance sports like I want to just talk about footwear as it as it relates to those things and I think rock climbing might be maybe the the most extreme example but cycling is pretty close behind where the shoes for those sports are there's an advantage to really kind of binding up your foot. And I don't rock climb. I, I've rock climbed a little bit, but you, you get in these shoes and it's like literally, it's, it's, it's actually uncomfortable sometimes to get into these shoes that experts tell me are, this is what it's supposed to fit like because we want to be able to get your foot, like the, your toes right into these like little crevices in the rocks and stuff. And, and speaking to something that I, that I personally know a little bit more is cycling is if, uh, I have different cycling shoes and I have I have ones that that I use more for triathlon where I can kind of get in and out of them really quickly for, um and they're a little bit wider and they're a little bit more comfortable but I also have uh very high performance cycling shoes they're they're a lot harder to get in and out of but those puppies they do add wattage to to my cycling performance. I mean, there's just no doubt that they're my feet are tight in there, and so there's just there's less like wiggle and there's less lost power transfer from my my big muscles in my around my hip and, and my thigh and stuff like that down into the pedal. So curious about because you are so competitive with with running and stuff and i i know you see com- competitive athletes and things and but we also know from what you've just told us that's those things aren't uh that's not like a healthy thing for the foot per se what about what do you tell people that that want to perform at their highest in, in one of these events but but they also want to have healthy feet. Like, what's the? Do you just kind of split your time, or uh, do you? What do you do? 
Well, when I talk to the rock climbers, I tell them about this this dream that I have, and and it's kind of unsubstantiated because, like you, I'm not really a rock climber, but. You know, and they tell me the same things. They need to have basically just one big toe, you know, so they can kind of get that pointed piece, pointed rubber piece into the into the rocks. But I also wonder if we could have success, not just with rock climbing, but with cycling and some of these other sports, by still making an intimate foot, uh, an intimate shaped shoe, but have it actually respect the natural shape of the human foot. In other words, I think there's nothing at all wrong with having your foot intimately positioned inside of a bicycle shoe, but I don't know that we necessarily have to squeeze our toes to actually accomplish that. In fact, I believe that if we eventually could get your feet into a pair of cycling shoes where you had an intimate fit, but that your toes were actually all spread out and that your platform was level, I speculate that your wattage would even increase, and I speculate your comfort would be greater and performance likely would be greater. And more importantly, we would probably be working towards preventing a lot of the cycling shoe problems that I see in my clinic. So um, yeah, what I try to get people to do is just make small improvements. And the problem, as you're imagining, I think, um, many of these sports don't have a natural selection. Not Today, we've got ultra for running, and there's some walking shoes coming out and so forth. But there's many, many athletic pursuits where people don't have a choice. And so a lot of times what we'll encourage them to do is get the best of the best they can find in the marketplace. And then we do a lot of what I call shoe surgery in our clinic. Oh, you do you do support that idea? I saw oh, that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've done that for years. In fact, early on when I would and, – and I used to do professional duathlons, and so I, I do have some cycling experience. And – I went through a lot of the same problems that my, my patients are encountering. So, um, uh, oh yeah, basically several years ago, I started talking to people about cutting the toe box and, you know, giving them more room for their, for their toes and taking out sock liners and putting in metatarsal pads, et cetera. And a lot of folks have invested two or $300 in a pair of cycling shoes. And they looked at me kind of like I was a little bit crazy when I wanted to take a scalpel to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And many of them would say, no, nah, it costs 300 bucks. It looks really nice. I don't want you to do that, but I'll bring you my old cycling shoe. Sure, sure, and, sure. And, and so they would, and I'd, I'd chop it up, and I'd send them riding, and they'd come back, and they'd hand me their brand-new $300 ones and say, please, you know, I want to feel what I just felt. So um, it's still a very unscientific way of doing what needs to happen. We eventually need somebody to actually make footwear for all of the sports that we all love that are shaped like a foot. And this is something I'm very actively working um, on, including currently with a couple of cycling shoe companies to try to actually get some shoes where you can still be intimately fit, but without squeezing the toes. Because you, you lose a lot when you squeeze your toes. You not only lose power, you lose circulation, believe it or not. Uh, I believe it, trust me. <laughs> we have, and a lot of the cyclists coming to talk to me are talking about, you know, numb foot and aroma problems and you know the foot's yeah. getting cold when they're out there riding and we had a gentleman from spain do a fascinating study on correct toes and he's an energy auditor he's not a medical person but he bought correct toes and he has a very uh, high-powered infrared camera and what he does is he goes around to buildings in his area and he shows the people who own the buildings how they're losing heat and so they'll make building mm, repairs and that's his sure, work okay but what he decided to do was when he got correct toes in the mail, he put a pair on his right foot, did not put a uh, set on his left foot, mm. and took, took pictures. And an hour later, he was five degrees Fahrenheit warmer on his corrected foot. And you could mm. actually see from his camera image 
and this probably is on our website for the audience members that might want to look at this, but that that is one of many reasons why we don't want to be doing the things to our toes in particular that we do in most of our sports. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I, I have, when I go to the clinic, I, I, I dress up, you know, I mean, I have mm-hmm. uh, nice clothes that I wear, uh, tie and all that whole business and stuff. And, and of course my shoes kind of match that. Right. And, yeah. and I, I tend to, I keep thinking like, Oh, I've been on the verge for, for years of getting a pair of like Nike freeze or something like that. And just wearing those with, you know, with my suit or something, you know, but, uh-huh. but I haven't quite done it, but uh, I have this pair of shoes that I actually I like quite a bit. They're 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 nice. They're leather. They feel nice, but they they in in terms of like the quality. But I always wish like that they would be wider. And I just think I'd be so cool if I knew like a cobbler or something. I don't know if that is such a thing anymore. But you know, people used to make shoes like this, and then of course yeah. they have them for. 20 years or whatever, right? And they get yep. repaired and stuff. But yeah, it'd be really cool if somehow we had a little bit more personalized touch like that. Oh, it would. In the meantime, though, there are a couple of good brands coming out there with dress shoes for men that kind of fit the the way that you want to set yourself up. And we've also got a shoe list on the website for audience members that might want to look at some of these selections. A couple of brands that come to mind, um, believe it or not, the Ultra brand that we talked about earlier has mm-hmm. dress shoes for men. Oh, they do. I didn't know that. They okay. Do. Yeah, yeah. So they've got a leather shoe that's basically built on the same um, exact last as their athletic shoes, but it, but it's for professional and dress. Oh, okay. Um, Lems, L-E-M-S, another great brand. They're, I wear a lot of their shoes to work. Um, Tune, T-U-N-E, makes a leather loafer for men that's around 100 bucks. I can wear my correct toes in it. And very thin sole, so it's almost like you are barefoot. You basically just get a little get a little protection. And then there's a couple of other brands. There's a brand called Primal Professional, where a gentleman tried to construct a shoe that looks more like what a professional men's dress shoe should look like, but he actually kind of tweaked the design so that it actually is a zero drop shoe. It looks like it has a heel, but it doesn't have a heel. This was Tune, or which one? Which one was this? Uh, th- this is Primal Professional. Oh, oh, okay. And then certainly Vivo Barefoot's got some good stuff out there. So believe it or not, there's probably four or five selections that might help you and your audience members achieve what you'd like to achieve at work. And I'm glad you brought that up, Doc, because that's a huge conversation piece we have at work every day, is what do you do with that person who has a dress code or um, maybe like a lot of my patients feel like they need to look the part. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and a lot of these are gals in their fourth and fifth decade. They want a marathon or they want to, you know, climb mountains and so forth. But what they're doing to themselves every day at work is basically taking them away from their goals. So those, those are the frustrating, you know, elements of trying to get people's healthy feet healthy when they, when they have to wear shoes that are crippling them. And then they come home at night and they try to do some, you know, good to reverse the damage. But ideally, we would all get ourselves set up all day long to move properly, eat properly, have our foundation properly supported and respected. Yep. And I think we're, I think we're going in that direction, you know, I mean, I, more and more of my patients that, that I talk to have uh, like standing desks and, and desks yeah. that can kind of go up and down, they can sit or stand and stuff. You know, I, I think it's going in that direction. We just need to keep talking about it. And ultimately, I'd love to be able to just be 
just be barefoot at my practice. But it's, it's just, uh, I guess at this point, I've still felt like that would be met with some resistance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure it would. I do have friends, in fact, some chiropractic friends that do that. And, um, and yeah, they get some comments and so forth. And I'm not there either. You know, there are times when I feel like maybe that's what I should do. But instead, I try to find footwear that positions me as if I'm barefoot. Um, so that I don't freak people out too badly. So what about the, um, we, we need to wrap it up and I know you're at the end of your time. You got to get off here too, but just really quick, you know, the, like the Vibram five fingers, for example, um, I have what I think I remember from chiropractic school is called Morton's toe. It's just it like the second, the second toe is just longer than my first toe. And I know that's like a normal variation. I don't know the percentage, but I know I'm not the only person that has that. Um, Now, I I bought like the first pair of five fingers that came out. I mean, I've had, and I still actually have them. I mean, they just don't really wear out. So I've had these things for a long time, but I don't wear them for a very lengthy period of time ever because that second toe feels like it's, um, it's just hitting the end of that. And I don't know what to do about that. And so I'm curious uh, if you have a thought about that. Yeah, um, lots of thoughts about that. If I were you, I'd probably figure out a way to do some surgery on the end of that second toe piece. Um, I thought you were going to say on my toe. No, no, no. (laughs) It actually kind of brings up a funny uh, conversation point we make in the clinic. When we talk about cutting people's shoes and they look at us funny, we say, would you rather us cut your feet at the hospital to fit the shape of the shoe, or would you like us to cut your shoe to fit the shape of your foot? Brings up another interesting story. A, a triathlon coach here locally had a young gal that was having all kinds of neuroma symptoms in her foot, and so he had her take her shoe off and had her stand on her sock liner, and her foot, not surprisingly, was a lot wider than her sock liner. And so he said, okay, we're going to take the sock liner out. We're going to relace the shoe a little bit. And she felt a little bit better, but she still had her neuroma symptoms. So he's like, well, why don't you just let me cut your shoe? Some techniques that I had showed him. And she literally freaked out and said, these things cost 150 bucks. I don't want you to cut my shoe. Right. But he reasoned with her that if she bought a dress or a pair of pants and it didn't fit, wouldn't she go have them altered or tailored? You know, and, and she agreed she would. But for some reason, with regard to our footwear, we have this mentality that the way it comes off the shelf, shelf has to fit us, you know, and we're, or we're just kind of stuck with it. And we push back against that frequently and show people that making simple little changes to the shoe with a scalpel or a stretcher um, can oftentimes take their symptoms away. Now, I have not done this shoe surgery. Do I just cut the end off of my second toe on these five fingers? Or do you mean like somehow you're going in there and like making a precise little cut and then like uncurling it a little bit and then like stitching it up with a little bit of extra something? Like like how how involved are we talking? Yeah, it kind of depends on how um, tech, how how professional you want to look. In other words, the easiest, quickest thing to do would be just to chop the whole end of the second toe cap off. You know, it would remove all the pressure. You wouldn't have any symptoms, but it might look a little unusual if somebody happens to notice your foot. So to make it look less unusual, the second thing you mentioned, just taking a little scalpel and making some cuts to remove the pressure from wherever it's rubbing your second toe, but leave the cap on might be enough for you to be able to wear that shoe without getting the rubbing that you're talking about. Now, do you have on your website, do you have any pictures of a procedure like this or even before and after pictures at least or... 
We sure do, but I don't think we have any Vibram Five Fingers. I think we've got some cycling shoe ones. We've got some how to modify her, your Hirachi sandals for correct toes. And then certainly, I think, just like regular running shoe techniques. But I don't think we have a Vibram. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. I mean, just... I- Probably I'm like an oddball that would want to do that to that. I, I was more meaning just like, yeah, for cycling shoes or something like that. Yeah, we, we definitely have some information on the website that might, might help the audience members. Okay, cool. I'll try to find a direct link to that and put that in the show notes too then. so Thank you. Hey, Dr. Ray, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? I guess more than anything, I want the audience members to think about taking care of their feet before something breaks. If there were one mm. message I, could, I would want to share after 20 years of doing the work that I do is, I guess, think proactively about your feet. And secondly, in keeping with that, it's very possible to start implementing some of these natural strategies that we're talking about today to hopefully keep your audience members from ending up in your office or my office. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, thanks so much for your time, Doc. Thank you, Doc. I really appreciate your time. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening, Vibrant Potentialite. Since I recorded this interview, I've had a longer time to try out Dr. Ray's Correct Toes device. I have to say my feet not only have been feeling better, but I've been feeling more spring in my step, and I'm very pleased to say that I seem to be able to run faster at the same effort. I'd say for me right now, the speed continues to vary as far as how much faster I am, but the decrease in pain and the increase in strength is steady. For me, that's a huge win all by itself. If you have any foot issues, Correct Toes are such an inexpensive way to try to help that I highly recommend you give them a try. This week's VP invite is to try out your own pair. Dr. Ray loved the Vibrant Potential message, and he graciously offered anyone in the Vibrant Potential tribe free shipping for their own pair of Correct Toes. All you have to do is go to today's show notes at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash correcttoes and follow the links to Dr. Ray's site. Once you're there, enter the code vibrant free ship, no spaces, first letter of each word capitalized, and they'll send you a pair and you won't have to pay shipping costs. If you do get a pair, I'd love to hear how they're working for you on our Facebook page www.facebook.com slash vibrant potential here's to your vibrant potential visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting edge content including nutrition and detoxification advice unique fitness videos and more